Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Scott, Steve Edwards, and Graham Bell, as we discuss preparing the classic defender for overlanding around the globe. This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. Well, welcome to the podcast, guys. We are going to talk today about classic defenders, also known as mental illness. So, yeah. Why <laughs> did your dad not love you? <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, defenders are super cool, super iconic. If you're watching on YouTube, I guess you really can't see, but there's one sitting right there. Yep. This guy's <laughs> driven around the world in one. Geez, where do we start with them? Well, let's first kind of introduce, I guess, the people on the podcast and their relationship to Classic Defenders, which all of us have had some variant, including your series, Rover. Yep. I guess we can, we can uh, start with Graham. So talk to me about your history with Classic Defenders. Obviously, you have your 130 that's gone through a bunch of different iterations, but let's talk about when you first started traveling in Defenders. How many different Defenders have you had? What were they? And kind of what your current model is. I was looking for a Toyota Hilux mm. and I couldn't afford one. This is back in the 90s. And I found an ex-military Series 3 nice. for half the price of a Hilux. And I thought, oh, I like these things. <laughs> it looks cool. Yeah. I have heard that story, that same thing with Land Rover people so many times. Uh -huh. It's same thing for me. Like when I got my first Land Rover Discovery, I wanted a Jeep Wrangler, a YJ, like the crappiest one that you could find. Couldn't do that, so got a Land Rover. Hilux had actually rescued us from a, a river. I had this South African-made, it's called a Nomad. I wrote an article about it recently, the crappiest 4x4 four four or four-wheel drive or off-road vehicle, whatever you want to call it, sure. ever made. I got stuck in a river. And this Hilux came along and saved us. And I'm like, i got to get me one of those. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I couldn't, I couldn't afford it. You know, but it, uh, in South Africa back in those days, the military used Land Rovers. So there was a glut of old Land Rovers, you could sure. cheap as chips. So I bought the series and broke the gearbox within the first day. It was a lesson. It was like a sign of things to come. And then from there, you know, you get bitten by the bug. You just fall in love with them. They're just so full of cars. And there's a great community of people around Land Rovers. Right. Like I think it's, you know, the, the, the vehicles kind of make you angry, but the people make you happy. Yeah. And, and also, I, I actually think it's kind of like I've never... I've never really done drugs, but I can kind of imagine like it's like an, a bit of an addiction because when a Land Rover is working properly, it's like nothing else. Like they, they really are. I remember like the Range Rover Classic that I yeah. had. When that car was, when everything was working, it was magic. 
But then they like, that doesn't always happen. But then you're always like clawing back to that moment of time when they that's work. what's called an abusive relationship <laughs> yeah, I, know, I, know. I believe that is i believe that is a common uh, thing you know, and i kept going back like land rover after land rover after <laughs> land rover i kept going back all right so you so your first your first land rover was a series mil, ex-military yeah pickup so, then i got my hands on a uh, v8 110 which is basically uh the first defender and that was amazing Mm. And that was a carburetor, was yeah, it? Yeah, three five, yeah. right? Three five V eight mm. with the. I heard those were actually pretty good. Works, I think amazing. I heard they were pretty good. But your your whole travel budget was gone just on fuel. Sure. You know, you're like, is it really that possible to drink so much? <laughs> yeah. And I was a broke twenty whatever year old. And, yeah. You know, I get to where I'm going. I'm like, I'm not be able to afford to get back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't even eat. <laughs> yeah. 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 Luckily, I bought the beers before I put the fuel in. Uh, <laughs> And then, yeah, so then from there, then I got another, I think a Range Rover Classic, which was the worst uh, worst idea ever. And then you came back for more on a Range Rover Classic a few years ago. Right, right. <laughs> right. Luckily, I didn't invest in that. I just drove it around the U.S. Um, and then we were, we were looking at driving up to Dar es Salaam from Cape Town. And I had a, I bought an ex-fire uh, truck R6. It was a Series 3, the Land Rover. Um, station wagon with a flat front. They called okay. it the R6. I had a straight six in it. Mine had been swapped out for a 4.1 Chev engine. And drove that around South Africa. It didn't let me down. But I wasn't quite convinced that that was the kind of vehicle that I should try and go up to Dar with uh, with the kids. So we started shopping around. Then I got the TD5, the 130. And that yeah. was just perfect. It just mm. And again, I looked at all the different vehicles available. I looked at the Nissan Patrols, the Land Cruisers, all of that. Double cab Land Cruiser would have cost me... Double what the the one thirty? Yeah, did. it's it's flipped now. The the one thirty is now worth double the Land Cruiser, almost not quite. But yeah, that's that's where it all started with that with that one thirty, and that she's been now our main vehicle for travel since two thousand nine. Okay, yeah, that's amazing. It's coming up on fifteen years. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Very cool. All right, Steve. So tell us about your affliction. Like this is it feels like an AA meeting now. <laughs> yeah, kind of going yeah. around the room. The through thing here with. Myself and Graham uh, is our Land Rover Odyssey also started in Africa. So my wife, Julie, and I are living in Botswana. We initially, when we moved to Habarone, we bought a Mitsubishi Pajero. Uh, and Super was, underrated, by the way. It was a great vehicle yeah. until I blew apart some head gaskets uh, in the middle of nowhere in, Cal- in the Kalahari Desert. And it's probably a story for another podcast. But um, we were on the lookout for another sort of adventure vehicle. And... We also were eyeballing a Land Cruiser. It was actually, it was a, I think it was a mid eighties, like 70 series. It had a pop top. It had sort of all the stuff we wanted. And we were pretty close to purchasing that vehicle. Uh, but we were kind of second in line on the sort of purchase process. The person who was ahead of us in line actually bought the, bought the vehicle. I mentioned this because that truck is actually in the Land Cruiser Museum now in, oh, right. uh, in, in, uh, in the Heritage awesome. Museum in Salt Lake City. Uh, so a museum undercut us on our purchase of a Land Cruiser. So, <laughs> so we were kind of poking around again for, uh, for another adventure vehicle. And living in Southern Africa and Botswana, um, you know, the Land Rovers are everywhere, right? And they just look amazing. They just exude, they exude adventure. Of course. Right? And I always, I was always kind of on the fence of them because... The only thing I knew about them is, well, maybe they're unreliable or they're uncomfortable or they're, you know, but they look amazing, right? I was poking around one of the overlanding Africa Facebook groups uh, one day and I saw this 
110 van two-door at the roof rack and the tent. I love the two-door 110s. Yeah. Totally. Fridge. It had like everything we really wanted. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. So I kind of made a note. And 10 minutes later, uh, my wife, Julie, she's at work. She texts me and she says, hey, did you see that Land Rover on the Facebook group? I said, yes, I did <laughs> see that Land Rover. She said, what do you think about that? I said, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to message the owners. So I did. And it turned out to be a, an American couple who was traveling through Africa. And they had purchased the, the vehicle from a British couple who had driven it all the way from the UK to Cape Town. So it had already kind of done like a lap and a half of the continent. So I thought, well, that's at least Proven. a little bit of a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> right. That just means it's ready to break down. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. As opposed to, <laughs> they don't really break down that much. Right. They really don't. They really don't. No. I, and I think, so it's a UK, originally UK vehicle. Um, Who prepped the vehicle in the UK? Was it, it a Foley's vehicle or? Um, no, it was just, it was like a plumber's van. It was oh, like a commercial it. vehicle. Sure, um, sure. And the people who, who made the original trip down from the UK to Africa, they, they kind of did have the basic stuff, right? The roof rack, the, had some drawers, the tent, and it was very, very, very basic. Um, they put new seats in it and that was basically it. And had, you know, had the whole thing made the maintenance, the regular maintenance done. So it was extremely basic, mm-hmm. uh, which is I don't know, kind of what we were looking for, right? And if you're looking for like a really simple, basic vehicle, you can do far worse than mid nineties Land Rover. And um, so ours is a, uh, it's a 1992. So it's a 200 TDI, kind of the last of the 200 TDIs, um, five speed and really very little in the terms of like, mechanical modifications or upgrades. It's, we tried to keep it almost entirely stock replace parts with Land Rover parts, just try to keep things as like possible, as simple and as stock as possible. The one issue with this vehicle when we decided to buy it was that it was located in Addis Ababa, not anywhere close (laughs) to Botswana. So we went back and forth with the, with the sellers and he said, he said, well, you know something, there's something, it probably needs new rear shocks. It's like, okay. So I bought some shocks and stuffed in my suitcase and we flew one way from uh, Botswana to Addis uh, and they picked us up and two days later we were driving south back to back to Botswana. Cool. So, so then we spent, you know, a couple months just driving around East and Southern Africa. Uh, that begins the land, you know, the Land Rover love affair. <laughs> and then, and then you enjoyed the vehicle so much and it was just old enough when you returned back to the U S correct that you decided to ship it. Yep. And we put it on a container in Cape town and uh, shipped it to Vancouver, British Columbia. So it actually took like two months. It was a long, it was a yeah, long that's, voyage. A, that's probably one of the longest sea voyages that you could do. I would think so. Yeah. And it ended up yeah. being the less expensive option. Interestingly, uh, the shipping agent said, look, if you're willing to wait, you know, for a while, it's going to cost you less money. It was actually pretty seamless in terms of shipping. Like you always hear nightmares about shipping vehicles, but um, it, we had zero issues. And but interesting it, that you chose to ship it into Canada. Mm. Do, do one of you have a Canadian passport or what decided on? No, nope. um, we just shipped it to, to Canada and uh, basically it on a cheaper. TIP, yeah, essentially, sure. and it was less expensive. And it was pretty close to our home in Montana. I think it's easier to send it into Canada or Maybe. like people yeah, will send yeah. stuff into Veracruz and you just avoid the whole, right. the, the whole port system. Yeah. Like, yeah, but yeah. I've, I've heard the port, stories. the port yeah. suspicions around defenders. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was fantastic though. When we opened the container and I hooked up the battery, I turned the key and it started on the first, <laughs> after two months in a container, it started on the first turn of the key. It's and a so, good loyal dog. It is, right? I had, I had exactly the opposite experience. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, shipped the Land Rover from Florida to the UK. It was just after I'd finished rebuilding it as a camper. Yeah, couldn't have started. 
But luckily, I had borrowed somebody's car that I, anyway, I just carried on tugging at this thing yeah. in second and until eventually it splattered to life and then I had to drive it across the entire country. I, you're right. It's traumatizing driving. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like, listen, I'm a recovering addict, addict to myself. I'm, I'm definitely still Land Rover curious, but I've moved on to German things right. that tend to. Have you owned any other Land Rovers or is this? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I had a soft ash um, Range Rover Classic cool. um, for a little while. Boy, um, those cars are just awesome when they work. They are yeah. just. This like one had a. Four point six block from Atlantic British, um, oh. and so it was a little bit had a little bit more a little more oomph behind it. Uh, Slightly faster nineteen sixties Buick engine. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That architecture is pretty ancient. Yeah. It also, um, a really great vehicle. Um, it gave us more headaches than I think the Defender ever ever has. Honestly, the Defender has been dead reliable. The only time anything is broken on that machine is when I've allowed other people to work on it. Yeah, you just have to be diligent with them. That's it. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Let's, let's dive into that. So well, one more, one more, Oh, okay. we got to talk about you and your Landovers and my Land Rovers. Yeah, exactly. So, real quick. We'll finish All right. that up. All right. That's what I'm talking we'll about. Reliability. I know. We, I know. It's, wanna, the, wanna it is the elephant. Them. It is the elephant in the room, but, All right. um, and I, and I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the, uh, contrarian on that because I'm actually not so convinced that defenders are that. I don't think they're that bad. I have a theory about that. I'll share that. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about classic defenders, lots of Land Rovers in my life. Um, lots of time in defenders, fortunately all around the world, not as, not quite as many, I think only five continents. So not as many as, as Graham over here, but we have definitely had great experiences in classic defenders and they've been, they've never left me stranded. And I had a TD five, uh, with the doormobile conversion on it for several years that I was babysitting for a good friend of mine. Um, we worked out an agreement where I paid him to babysit his car in the United States with, with the Guatemalan plates. <laughs> so uh, it was Not a way to, it was a way, no, it was totally legit. It was totally legit. It's basically, yeah, it's a rental agreement not an ownership. And that was a beautiful car. The TD5 was wonderful. I was really impressed with the motor. It was a very reliable vehicle, actually very few leaks even. Uh, they continued to improve that through the through life cycle. Drove around Iceland in a 2015 Defender. I remember when you did so, that. Yeah. yeah, it had the new dash. So even though it was minus 8,000 or whatever it was in January, it had heated seats from the factory and it had the, the vents in the dash. And it actually was a totally hmm. comfortable vehicle to drive even in really cold conditions. And that was kind of near the end of the run. It was. For the OG Defender. Yeah. yeah. So the TD4, the, the Puma. It was. It was the Puma motor. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it was great. Six-speed manual, uh, which I don't know that that was actually an advantage, the six-speed. It was, you know, with that much torque and how it made the torque, um, you were shifting a lot, which I didn't seem to be an advantage. Right now, I have uh, this the defender that's here in the same room with us. Since we, you know, we have classic defenders representing right now in the podcast, but uh, this is a 1986 Defender 110. It is a two door. It was originally a pickup, so it was purchased out of the UK. And I have it with a good friend of mine, Marcos Westcamp, and we we use the vehicle together on and off. And uh, it has been totally reliable. It has started. Every single time. Uh, the one thing about this vehicle that has been an issue, though, it's the leaks. And I think it's because I don't drive it that often. It just it has developed a lot of really bad leaks. Everything See, leaks. A puddle of power steering. Yeah, power steering. It, like it, pretty much all of it is leaking now. So I just need to go from front to back 
and and replace all of those seals but it has been a joy to drive it's got the soft top on it roll the sides up in the summertime and press it and there's few things that'll make me smile as much as that car will so you know land rovers are defenders are something that i have always loved and i think it goes back to mutual of omaha looking at them going across the african savannah it just kind of buried into my psyche that that is an adventure vehicle. So, and how about you, Matt? I think I'm here because of Land Rover. Um, you are actually, you yeah. Were, you would just stop working for Land Rover when you pulled up. Even, even before that, lot. before that, I got a, I got a, a discovery one for, you know, probably like an Xbox and a ham sandwich that I traded for it. And, uh, it was really cheap. It was, I think it was Rioja red, the D one. Um, I love that car. I, I, I think to this day, it's the maybe maybe the car I've owned the longest. Oh, which is maybe disturbing. He's repping the, the disco two shirt, um, <laughs> but I learned everything on that car. I, I got it when I was sixteen. I, I spent my high school graduation money buying an old man emu lift from Expedition Exchange. It's why I joined Expedition Portal at sixteen, and that is really what I think led me here. Man, then I went to college. I became learned, and I traded it for a Land Cruiser, and then I traded that Land Cruiser for a crotch rocket in February in Chicago. So that really wasn't smart. You learned? I thought you said you learned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It does get complicated from there. But when I had moved to Prescott to work for Overland Journal and Exhibition Portal 2011 or something, I had a Jeep and I traded that for a Series 2A109. His name was Ralph. Yeah, Ralph was awesome. Ralph was really cool. Ralph was cooler than me, but Ralph leaked a lot. And I just really couldn't afford to maintain or put that much emphasis in that vehicle. Like it couldn't, I took it on a few trips and it was a miracle that it survived. And it was one of the more emotional driving experiences that I've ever had in a vehicle. Um, you really had to work it. There was no power steering. It really, I like to think, taught me how to drive off-road because it's you did, just you drew you drove it off-road i mean i have pictures of that thing yeah. air under the tires climbing up that shelf outside of the, the, i remember that photo and the, the the scary thing to that was uh the way the the, the brake master cylinder was on the series 2a 109s is you had to bleed them at like a four literally put the front of the vehicle at a 45 degree angle to get this air bubble to come out so if you wanted the brakes to work you had to get really good at like pumping them like five times. So that was really terrifying. <laughs> I remember that moment. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's such there's such simple vehicles. And I will agree with when people say Land Rovers aren't reliable. Un unfortunately, it's probably a fact. I don't know. Not if, all Land Rovers. I don't that's know if the series Rovers and the Defenders necessarily deserve that reputation. That's, that's what I would agree with. I think there was a lot of, you know, Land Rover... Land Rover never does things the easy way, and they never really used the best suppliers, I guess. Is, oh, you're talking about the Prince of Darkness, Lucas. Lucas, yeah. yeah. And then they went to BMW. Right. You know, like from, from an American perspective, we stopped getting the Defender in 97. We only got the 110 for one year for all intents and purposes, a novelty. Yeah, they were a marketing exercise. They were. They, there weren't that many around. A lot of them were, were owned by collectors. You didn't really see that many of them being used. So enthusiasts of until the 25-year rule kicked in and 83 model year vehicles could be brought in with 110s and 90s and things, most of the Land Rover community in the U.S. was 
well, it was Discoveries and it was Range Rovers. And those vehicles had so many electronics that maybe Land Rover didn't have any business doing. Um, But they were also luxury vehicles that depreciated rapidly and they weren't historically maintained. Yeah. After the first owner, they were typically not maintained. Yeah. So I think that you have to look at, there's like the Defender, the classic Defender, and then there's everything else. And they're almost two different companies. You know, so I think when we kind of joke about about Land Rover and and it not being super reliable or them being super dependable, I think it, it is maybe a little bit of an American perspective because of what we were able to get. Right. You know? I think it applies though around if you talk to an Australian overlander, they're gonna say the same thing about Land Rovers. Yeah. But again, like the whole thing is elevated though. If you're in Australia, you're comparing a, a one ten classic one ten to a seventy series Land Cruiser. So like the even the Land Cruisers are better there. So if, you know, I think the whole the whole high watermark moves yeah. in places like South Africa and in Australia where the vehicles are just better in general. You could get a Nissan Patrol, which is a, an amazing. We never got that car other no. than in the 60s. But uh, so for the most part, I think that Land Rover Defenders are quite reliable, yeah, but they have some downsides. I mean, it's just important to talk about it up until the last couple of years they, they didn't have any form of traction control. So they were open differentials other than the center differential lock. And Land Rover achieved traction through lots of articulation, which also made them a little more sporting on the road because they had so much body roll. You know, they never had differential locks like the Land Cruiser did. So they, or the Jeep Wrangler or a G-Wagon. So they never quite performed at the same level off-road as those other marks. You know, now, of course, a modern Defender has diff locks, but... Um, you could get traction control in the later years, which also really made a huge difference for those cars. I drove one with traction control. (laughs) You combine that articulation with just a little bit of brake traction control. And did did the TD5 get the traction control? No, No, it was after that. It basically got a a new motor and an ECU. Gotcha. Okay. Um, It was not much. That was quite Because there was a point when they started integrating like some Discovery 2 stuff into them, I want to say, with traction control. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the the Puma model that I had in Iceland had ABS and traction control. Yeah. Which was nice on the ice. When I was running the magazine in Australia, I had a, I think it was a 2016. It was like the final edition. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to say that. There's two Pumas. There was a 2.4, which was earlier, and 2.2, which was later. I think it was a Getrag six-speed from a Mustang or something. Nice gearbox, nice engine, but then it was all working together with the same transfer case, LT230, (laughs) which is very reliable. But, you know, you push the clutch in, and on a 2016 vehicle, you could hear the driveline (laughs) slap. (laughs) And you're like, I don't think the German gearbox likes this. (laughs) You know, the Puma, I don't know if I consider that a classic Defender. Obviously, it is. uh, But it was just so different from what came before it. Mm. So my my theory on the reliability thing, and talking about you, you're saying about how it is in the States, now, globally, you must remember a lot of these, like the classic Defenders series, et cetera, they were uh, used by the military in a lot mm-hmm. of these countries, especially the ex-British colonies, Australia, South Africa. Sure. And there were just hundreds of thousands of these vehicles bobbing about. And like like what I had is I, I, a lot of people buy an ex-military yeah. vehicle and then they fix it themselves. And I think that was the thing a few years ago. Land Rover was saying that, what, 75% of all Land Rovers ever made are still on the road. Right. But they're being maintained by the guy that's driving it. 
Yeah. So mm-hmm. you have a lot of guys like me, backyard mechanics, and uh, <laughs> buy a vehicle not really knowing what to do with the thing. Okay, it breaks down. Okay, and I go like sweat and figure out how to fix it. Yeah. And you see these guys on the side of the road, you know, and it's all a learning process when you're buying a secondhand vehicle that's been beaten to death by soldiers in some cases. Um, and then you've got to fix it yourself and, and, and because you don't want to take it to Land Rover. The Land Rover spares, for instance, are very expensive. So what sure. you do is you get the crappy aftermarket stuff like, what's it, Brit Part? The blue boxes. Uh, Brit which, Part. There's another name for it, but I'm not allowed to say it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what you, you hit the nail on the head. The thing about reliability with these vehicles is keeping them stock and using the best parts you can afford. In mm. your case, it's to be the Land Rover parts. But I've had it so many times where I've, you know, broke ass Overlander. And I, I get mm-hmm. the part I can't afford, but it's a false economy because guess yeah. what? You're sitting on the side of the road yeah. a thousand Ks later fixing mm-hmm. what you just fixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so from the reliability, the reliability point of view, I mean, my, my Defender got from Cape Town all the way up to Dar es Salaam, all the way back down, didn't touch my toolbox. Shipped it over to South America, drove all the way up around Brazil, right to the top, all the way back down again, all the way down to Ushuaia. Nothing, not a day's problems. As soon as I hit altitude, everything started going a little bit. Oh, crazy. interesting. Now you're driving at what? What's 5,000 meters in feet? That's 15,000 feet. Yeah, sure. The cooling system starts freaking out. Everything starts getting a little bit under pressure. And then that's, that's really for me is like you're overloaded. You're at 15,000 feet. Your cooling system is, doesn't know what the heck's going you're on. You're asking a lot from it. Yeah. yeah. And then that kind of sets off a chain of, uh, events which kind of uh, well for me anyway made the vehicle a little bit less reliable than it mm. was before but it's because i was putting it in pressure in, yeah. in extreme situations i think that's an important point uh, sort of understanding the the limits of the vehicle right um whether that's how fast you can drive down the interstate which is not very fast or 50 wh- miles an hour in the case of the one behind right. you <laughs> <laughs> or uh what kind of say off-road terrain you're tackling right i think that goes a, a long ways because the classic defender is a machine that gives you a lot of feedback as to what's going on with the vehicle as you're driving it mechanical feedback road feel all those different things and all so all the sounds smells all the sounds all the smells what's that gear oil what's that gear oil gear oil, <laughs> so oh, much gear oil. oil. yeah right. it's giving you a lot of information and i think paying attention to that information is really important. I mean, that goes for any classic car, but I think in a Defender, when you're putting it maybe through its paces in a remote location or an off-road context, yeah, understanding those those limits because the Defender is great um, up until a certain point. Like you're mentioning, you know, it doesn't have the locking differentials. It doesn't necessarily have the rubber, uh, you know, if you're running- Smaller like, tires, yeah. Yeah, if you're running, tend st- to fit if you're running tire. stock tires. Yeah, just, you know, being aware of those things. So if you keep the vehicle in its sort of sweet spot and you're- highly conscious of what's going on with vehicle as you drive it, then they're awesome. I think that's the case. I mean, the one, the one here in the room with us is a stock vehicle. Mm -hmm. Like even the front bumper is something that was sold by Land Rover. It's the safety devices front bumper. It's, Mm -hmm. it's got Michelin XELs, it's factory suspension. There's no modifications to the car. Mm -hmm. And it, every time it starts, it drives great. Mm-hmm. Um, it is too low geared. So like the 50 miles an hour is really rough because that is a 1.6 to one mm-hmm. high range. Mm-hmm. This was a farm implement in the UK somewhere at a farm. You know, it was, it was the one with the 1.6 mm-hmm. transfer case high range. So you know, that's the low range of a sprinter right. is 1.6. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And that's the right. high range in this, in this vehicle. So. The discoveries are like 1.2. 1.2. Exactly. Yeah. And this, this vehicle would benefit from a, 
a 1.2 or a 1.4. A lot of defenders came with 1.4s yeah, as well. We have those. We have that um, in ours, our, our transfer cases. That would just, ratio. Yeah, that would just take a little bit of the edge off of the highway driving. And then I'm thinking about maybe doing the 8.25s that I bought off you that are sitting in the back. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those things. Those are taller. But so taller for like tires. touring in Africa, sort of having that speed limiter is, is great, right? You don't want to be driving fast anyway, for the most part. Um, yeah. 80 kilometers an hour is, is how fast you drive. Exactly. In a, right. in a country that doesn't have interstates. Yeah. So. Bombing down interstate 15, you know, in the middle of nowhere in Utah in a defender is a long long day right yeah it's a it's a different creature i mean we did yeah. a, we drove down west africa and i don't think i got into fourth gear yeah uh for months sure, sure. I, mean, I would have i mean i missed that fourth gear yeah. uh and then you get to south africa and you're on and everyone's driving at 75 80 miles an hour and you're like whoa <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah everything sped up everything yeah. sped up the, the yeah. funny thing though sorry to come mm-hmm. back to when i first bought the vehicle i was the guy driving 75 miles an hour in my td5 the defender could do it i'd be overtaking people on the on the freeway sure uh so the td5 is a bit of a different beast mm-hmm. so you guys are going to start getting those motors soon in the next few years next, yeah, next soon, year. yeah. And they what was the first year 2002. Oh, yeah. So it'll be a couple, we're a couple years. Because that was a BMW motor, right? No. No? No, it's the last Land Rover. In-house. Okay. Yeah. It, gotcha. it, was, it was released under BMW. Okay. But it's still a Land Rover. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. called the Storm, actually. Oh, okay. The Storm. Wasn't there like a South African-only Defender that had a, a straight six? Yeah, it had a uh, BMW 2.8i. I have a friend, Max, yeah. that has one of those in South Africa. And he's like, there's like a whole like club around just that engine and just that Land Rover. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, imagine BMW power and, and re- reliability yeah. in a Defender. Yeah. Yeah, those are like, uh, what do you call them? Like hen's teeth? They're, they're <laughs> yeah. rare and they're, Pretty rare. Yeah. Well, Grenadier is going down that. Uh, yeah. The Grenadier is going down yeah. that path, right? Straight, straight, <laughs> straight six. Straight six BMW. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about modifications because we just kind of dropped this bombshell that Land Rovers in general tend to perform best when they're at or near stock. And I've just never seen a really well executed, heavily modified Land Rover unless there's not much of a Land Rover left. But um, they do tend to perform really well close to stock, but there are things that need to be considered. So, Graham, what are what do you feel for your vehicle, a Defender 130 TD5? What were the necessary modifications uh, for your travels that you made to the vehicle? I kept a stock standard in the beginning when she was a double cab 130. Yeah, she, sure. I basically popped a roof tent on her and a topper at the back with a drawer system, and she was ready to go. I think I changed the tires. I was under the impression that bigger tires were better. Yeah. So I got 32s. And what did you find? Was that was bigger tires necessary? Yeah, hell of a lot better than those cookie cutter yeah. um, 750-16s. Sure. I hate those things. Only tire that's almost killed me is the one, the 7.5s. <laughs> <laughs> a, wet, a wet road. Right. Yeah, we, <laughs> With so, no ABS. Yeah. Right. No, you don't want that. Yeah. We uh, kept your stock standard pretty much. I mean... You know, uh, bolted a couple of things on her. And that was the, the one beautiful thing about the Defenders is you can just, it's Lego, bolt things on them, drill holes in it. You do what you want to them. They just, they just suck it all up. So we kept her standard, uh, but the little slightly larger tires. And then I changed to 33s for the Amazon, uh, mud terrains. Mud terrains. Yeah. What size tire was that? Like a 255, 85, 16? It was a 32, 12.5 R15, okay. which was awesome. In the jungle, in the rainy season, 
except that it stuck out like two inches on the side. Sure. So the entire vehicle was just covered in an inch of mud. <laughs> so it was dark in there all the time. And every time you open the window, you crank it open, <laughs> yeah. get some air in there and you hit another puddle and the whole family gets full of mud. And then, so that, yeah, that was a bad idea. It worked for us. It got us through. We never, we never had problems in the jungles, this and the other. But then you get back onto normal roads and you're stuck to these huge tires and your wheel bearings start going. So now I'm running a, a going down to 285. 75 or 16. Mm -hmm. um, and I might even go down to a 265. Uh, but in terms of future modifications, there's a few things I'd like to do. Like did you change out. the suspension at all? Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, right. Sorry. And I found that actually the stock suspension would have been the best bet from the beginning, maybe with some spaces, coil spaces. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been through the gamut with the suspension and, and I, I look back and actually the stock suspension. Because <laughs> don't the 130s the have that twin spring yeah. Yeah, on the back? The little helper right. spring inside. Yeah. That's what that's what this one has, although we removed it because it was, I mean, it, I don't put anything in it. So it was like, it rode horribly. But yeah, yeah this one is the high cap yeah. rear suspension. It gets, it gets one row of peonies from the, uh, the, the local garden store on the back. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's Perfect. Right. It basically, it hauls around... Uh, Occasional mountain bike and yeah, groceries from Sprouts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the future upgrades, I've lost a few horses over the years. And I mm. think half of that might be because I'm a really bad mechanic. And it's never really been surfaced, serviced by a very good mechanic. I've tried adjusting the, 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 the turbo wastegate and taking out the muffler and doing all these things, trying to get power out of it. Mm. Especially up at altitude. And the secret there, and that was the great thing with the TD5, is you just disconnect the MAF. And she runs like she's at sea level. The thing with the TD5 is it's chippable, so you can get mm. you can get up to 250 horsepower out of it, and the standard is 120. Wow. Yeah. And you put in a larger intercooler, you put in a new, uh, you can upgrade the turbos. You, there's a lot of stuff you can do to make it actually quite a performance vehicle. I'm sorry. Relative. It's all relative. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't, so, sorry. I'm carefully considering <laughs> the upgrades for the future. I don't need it to be a performance vehicle, but I would like it uh, to be able to overtake a truck in Baja and not die. Yeah. That would, that be, would nice. be fun. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least not, you know, that thing when you're shifting the seat forward because you think it makes the trucks. Uh, <laughs> I always, I always find slapping the door panel uh, <laughs> encourages a few more horses. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's been the, essentially the modifications that you've made and it's, it's, yeah. So well. you've obviously done a lot of stuff to like the livability of the vehicle and camper and that. Yeah, you added, stuff. you did yeah. add a camper. So let's talk a little bit about that conversion that you did. Yeah. You even lopped the two back doors off. Right. Mm. So that was a challenge for me because I had two kids and this was back in 2017. And I wanted to keep on traveling and I knew eventually the kids would want to move on. Now, how do you make a vehicle, a camper that can accommodate four humans, adults, large people, South African size? and make it comfortable for everyone and 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 eventually i figured out now we'll just make it comfortable for the people in front um and the people in the back just have to suffer i'm joking but they actually had larger seats and this and they just they didn't have the great visibility but um what's interesting is i bought the defender for nine thousand dollars in 2009 i stripped her down and built changed it into a camper in florida in 2017 and i sold all the stuff that i took off for nine thousand dollars <laughs> which is pretty cool and then I basically built the box on the back with a pop top and then the rear door that you can open, you can you enter in a nice big back door. The idea was it was all about space and visibility and that. The defender just took it, you know, and it, mm -hmm. I took the whole vehicle apart in a day. Who built the camper for you? 
I do. Oh, you built the walls and yeah, the everything. They have a great little uh, YouTube video on yeah. your on your channel from back then. Uh, that right. sort of details the whole build. It's really great. Yeah, yeah. I did it in a in a greenhouse in Florida. Fantastic. <laughs> no, it was not fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I mean, in hindsight, the, I yeah. mean, it was terrible. I'm sure at the time, but what a great story. Now, yeah. hopefully, it wasn't a greenhouse in the summer. <laughs> It wasn't, but does it matter? In Florida? <laughs> <laughs> we had to have an industrial size fan and hundred percent humidity for the ice. Otherwise I would have died. But, and, uh, and the box itself was sort of semi prefab, right? Or did you guys do the whole everything thing they just completely custom? The panels. It was uh, uh, total composites. They sent us the panels, sent us the windows right, okay. and the extrusions. We had to make a, uh, a work table out of the, the, the packing pallets. And the, the packing plywood the, the, the that the ship came in, mm-hmm. excuse me. I made that to a work table on the, yeah. on the coral. You know how in Florida the ground is all coral? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So that's why if you look at my landy, you look at the back, don't ever take a square to the thing. <laughs> Sounds like my house. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was very proud of the, the landy. The, the one thing about the Defender 130 has got a payload of 1,500 kgs, yeah. which is class <laughs> leading. Yeah. That was especially back then. Yeah, over um, three thousand pounds. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Like, yeah. that's F three fifty. Yeah, that's one ton territory. One ton mm-hmm. territory. Yeah, like that's twice what my Prospector XL has. Right, and then you look at the frame. Reference. Reference. This is the thing yeah. about the Defender: is the the chassis, the frame. That's a truck. Yeah, mm-hmm. frame. Yeah. I look at I'm driving a, a Dodge Ram twenty five hundred, and the frame on that thing is it doesn't even compare to the Defender. Defender, yeah. it's like this, and that's the thing about the vehicle. As it's just so solid and you can do so much with it. And we were very happy with the build that did the whole of West Africa because we went to Europe after that and then to West Africa. So all of Southern Africa, box was perfect. Didn't break, frame was perfect. Everything was good that I built a walkthrough. Yeah, we're very, very happy with it. And if I look back, I don't think there's another vehicle that I could actually have done that with other than a Toyota Land Cruiser. Like a Troopy or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that would have still involved a lot more cutting and welding. Yeah. And, and there's always the issue with a Land Cruiser is that they're highly desirable, which means that everywhere you go, your vehicle is a target. I mean, I remember having this conversation with Cyril, who actually was the one that I rented the TD5 110 from. He lived in Guatemala. And he drove a Range Rover Classic every day. And I said, how come you drive a Range Rover Classic in Guatemala? He says, no one wants to steal it from me. Right. You know, and, there's, and a, there's, there's something funny and something sad in that statement. <laughs> there's not a market for stealing a Range Rover Classic and selling the parts. There was a Toyota. Whereas if you're driving around in an 80 series Land Cruiser in Guatemala City... Or That's a very... Or Johannesburg. <laughs> that is a oh, very yeah. valuable vehicle. Or pick your country that you're traveling through Africa, a 70 series Land Cruiser and all of the parts in it, the engine and the alternator and the axles, it's all extremely valuable. You roll in there in a Defender 130 that's been customized and no one knows what it is and it doesn't have market value. Right. So you're not likely to have someone stick a an AK to your head and take your car. Right. So yeah. I think there's an advantage to that around Land Rovers that a lot of people don't understand is that they really aren't, they are a status symbol within a city, a large city, mm. but everywhere else, they don't have a lot of market value. So they're generally going to leave you alone. I mean, they may take your wallet, but they don't really want your car. Another thing is everyone's looking at Defender. Mm-hmm. You park that at a, anyway, I think the, the thing is to be smart, park it where it's visible or, you know, you got to be careful. But with our Defender, we never, we never had a problem. I think two reasons. One is I always had two children in the backseat, but the other is wherever I park, 
all eyes were on it. So No Thief is mm. going to come and mess with the thing. Yeah. And everyone's staring at it. You know, because it looks, many, yeah, cool adventure vehicle. Right. Yeah. Every time I went to the shop, I'd come out and they'd be like, there'd always be some dude walking around and taking yeah. photos of it and, and stuff. Awesome. Uh, and I think that's the thing with the Defenders as well. It's just they're so attractive. charming. There, there's something emotional to them, right? Yeah, I mean, you sure. were kind of alluding to Mutual of Omaha or yeah. a little bit before me, but you know, there, there's something I'll use the word like that feels authentic about traveling in a, in a Defender. Yeah. It's not the easiest thing that you can do. It's not the most comfortable. It's not the most reliable, but there's something about driving a Defender. I equate it to riding a motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, because yeah, you're right. If you're going to go, you know, you're going to go to the store, right? Yeah. You get on your bike, there's preparation, but also you go to the store and you come back and you feel like, you know, you, you get a bit something. of a fizz, yeah. right? <laughs> and it's the same with the Defender. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as a boring trip to the shops. So there's definitely that. I kiss my vehicle so many times. I go and do it in like a really difficult route or something. And I get to the end of it and I'm like, I've kissed her. Thank you so much. The, the most emotional yourself. vehicles I've ever had that I've had the most connection and attachment with Land Rovers. Yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't it's, know if it's because you are working on them so much and, and, and you develop this in the US, the discoveries would break all the time. So you had to remember Disco Web? Yeah, sure. Mm, yeah, I do. Disco yeah. Web. yeah. <laughs> like the, the people that you met through through that and the community that was formed around the Land Rover world was just so great. Yeah, I wish I had appreciated Disco Web more when I was first on it because I would go on there, you know, thinking that I knew something and I knew nothing. Mm. I spent so much time like defending some modification I made to the vehicle when all these guys have, they'd already been down that road and they were just trying to help me yeah. save myself <laughs> from myself. Yeah, you don't and I look, do that. I look, yeah, I look back, I look back and I'm like, why was I so stringently defending my position for these, you know, control arms or whatever that never I never look back at the thing as you said on the internet more yeah, than but, 10 years ago. <laughs> but what a lesson for me of like, I should have just shut up and listened a lot more. I mean, there's yeah. a reason, there's a reason why we have one mouth and two ears. We need to spend a lot more time listening to people who know what they're talking about. And I wish I had mm. listened to those guys a lot more because they, they were right in the end of the day, they were, everything they said was right. Mm-hmm. And because so many people do work on their own vehicles, there's a, just a, there's always a two edged sword with the internet knowledge, but there is a huge well of knowledge, right? About these vehicles. Um, and the community yeah. in general is very positive. Yeah. Um, I think it's shifted a little bit since the original defenders have become so incredibly valuable with a lot of imports coming in and, you know, a lot of crazy auction prices. There's some, there's some, shy, there's some shysters too. There's some people bringing in very questionable vehicles. And exactly. A lot of lipstick on a pig right now. Yeah. So that's shifted a little bit, but I think <clears> in general, the Land Rover community has been one of the most sort of like supportive and, uh, and knowledgeable around sort of wherever we were, both in Africa and in, yeah, they're in great. North America. They're great for, for the sure. Most part. Yeah, I agree with that. Can I tell you a little story yeah. about um, the Land Rover community? So obviously we have a, know a lot of Land Rover people. A lot of clubs, they know us, they follow us. Now, we were driving that Range Rover Classic across uh, uh, across the U.S., which 10 MPG, spluttering along. I love that thing. And uh, we broke down next to a blueberry field. Oh, you broke down? Yeah. The, yeah. Oh, you know, right. the, the front of UJ went pop. We managed to, uh, 100 feet from where we broke down, we could get cell signal. So Louisa went off and sent out the, you know, the smoke signals to the Land Rover community the like. I think I might have told you this story. You I'm did. Not sure. You on did, the last podcast? Yeah, but the, we can we can do the I want to hear it. We can do the shortened version. Okay, the shortened version. So basically, 
pushed ourselves into the the blueberry field, got hold of a chap from the, the main Land Rover club. He does the, the Bruce. He does the main winter romp, which is all the Land Rovers. Mm. He's like, don't worry, I'll sort you out. And then the owner of the farm came over and it turned out he had a series vehicle and I, I kicked myself for not taking the time to go see it. But, it, but his dad had gone to the UK. I might have muddled the story up, but basically bought a series vehicle, toured it around Europe, brought the vehicle back to the States with him. Mm. Who does that? Because yeah. right? it's a Land Rover. That's why. Then this guy's brother the son went to go study at Harvard, um, Oxford or whatever, took the series with him. As you Back do. to the UK. Back to the UK. <laughs> they then went touring. I think they flew over to meet him. They toured around yeah. Europe and Morocco, Scandinavia and shipped the Land Rover back. To, and there it sat in Maine. In, uh, he just happened to break down in this blueberry farm. Right. Yeah. Right. And the guy had the most amazing Land Rover story. Actually, what? I think I'm going to make a mission to go back there, find him. Wouldn't that be cool? It. Yeah. And then the next morning, sorry, the next morning, uh, Bruce showed up with a complete front prop shaft. UJ was in everything, and half an hour later, we we're having bacon and eggs. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Land Rover community is just fantastic, and there's just so many great stories within that community. Yeah, I think it's just a, it's, it's a way to connect with people locally when you travel, and I think it, I think it adds to the experience, and I think that's mm-hmm. what's so special about, uh, I guess, Land Rover in general, but, you know, the, the Defender in particular. Yeah, and, I, and here this is my thing about the whole reliability I think that it's actually a cop-out. It's actually a cop-out to say, I never want my car to have a problem. Like, did we not decide to be adventurers? Did we not decide to go experience the world? And if you read like Ray Highland's trip across the Silk Road with this totally ill-suited vehicle and the amount of times that he interacted with the locals and they made a, they would make a seal out of the brim of their hat or something like that. So I think that part of the, for me, the connection with the Land Rover is, is that you travel at a different pace and you travel with a different mindset. You are far more likely to interact with the locals and need help from people in a community to have stories about blueberry farms. If you were driving a perfectly reliable vehicle, you would have already had the bacon and eggs. You would have never met this guy. You would have never had that moment. You would have never had someone else in the community that stepped up and came to your help. And and you gave him that experience too. He got to come and be a part of your adventure. So I actually think that this whole reliability thing. Now, when I was crossing Antarctica, yes. Take a Toyota. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You take take the best tool for the job. I I look back at all my serious trips and none of them have been in Land Rovers. (laughs) But... If I'm crossing Africa, sitting next to this guy, though, <laughs> if I'm crossing Africa or whatever else, you know, absolutely give me a who cares if the thing breaks down. Right. Like, we, isn't that what we signed up for? Yeah, we have dozens of stories from our travels on that continent um, with the same outcomes. Right. Yeah. And I think it does. I, I equate it in some ways to, to folks who are traveling on like adventure bikes sure. um, in Africa as well. So, yeah, there's just less of a barrier um, when you're traveling in this rusty, rattly, rickety. With the window open. With the window <laughs> open because there's no other way to do it. <clears throat> well, because um, Graham and I don't fit in a Defender without the window open. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think particularly particularly in Africa, um, the, the, the Defender has this sort of particular place. Like you were saying, everybody knows them. Everybody's has them around from, you know, Egypt to South Africa, right? They're, they're everywhere. And, you know, it's great at border posts and police checkpoints. You're less threatening. <laughs> you're less of a target. Uh, you're less 
other, I guess. Uh, and so, yeah, the amount of interactions um, and conversations and experiences, little kids crawling all over the thing. And yep. It's clear that like when, we're, when we travel in our 110, we didn't have a million dollars, right? It was obvious. It was easy to avoid bribes. You know, yeah. It was easy to, you know, have those really rich experiences yeah, that yeah. I think you're saying in terms of like, that's why we do this, right? And yeah, there were extremely uncomfortable days, long days, days where I wish I had air conditioning or sure. some, uh, some modicum of power, right. Uh, from the motor. But in the end, like, yeah, those are the, those are the experiences that make the whole, yeah, whole thing those are worthwhile. now, those are now <laughs> translated into memories that you'll exactly. take with you for the rest of your life. And it's yeah. the reason why you brought your land over back yeah. with you, just like the guy in the blueberry field. Right. We couldn't have left it there. Yeah, exactly. You know, now part of the personalities, right? Cause right. you're so, yep. and you name them. Yes. Ralph. Well, Ralph was, Ralph. Uh, yeah, the series. Yeah, I've, never, the, I've never named a car. I should mm, probably think about that. Our, ours is unironically named Toto um, after, well, A, the song. After Toto uh, Wolf, the managing director of the AMG Petronas F1 team? No, the yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, 80s pop rock band. Um, and everyone knows, the, everyone knows the song. But then also... Um, you got to sing it for us. You know. <laughs> yeah, right. You don't want me to do that. Uh, you know, the, the little dog in uh, Wizard of Oz, right? Um, sort yeah. of, you know, pulls, pulls back the curtain on what's going on in real life, right? Life, and, yeah. you know, that Land Rover helped us pull back the curtain on life and, you know, sort of have those experiences that we always wanted to have. Yeah. I just thought about your next book. You know, there's like the Zen and art of motorcycle maintenance, right? There's like a Zen and art of traveling in a Land Rover that just makes it a little bit more special. Yeah. You know, like I'm, right. I'm, I'm hearing you guys uh, talk about all these things and I'm like, damn, I've gone soft. <laughs> like that, that is what, that is what is occurring to me right now. But that there's also nothing wrong with that either. And I mm -hmm. think that that's, that's one true. of the problems that the overland community can have is that people will project that this is the experience that works best for me. It should then work best for everyone else. And mm -hmm. I'm going to criticize if someone else decides to travel in a different way. I think it's just try different things. Try dri driving a Land Rover and see how you like it. If you don't like it, no big deal. Like it's, you don't have to do that, but I happen to like it. What do you think Laura would do if I came home with a Land Rover? <laughs> I, I think she would be completely unsurprised. I, I don't think, I think she'd be unsurprised. I don't think she would care. I don't think she'd go in. Well, it depends it. on what you make you do with it. Like, like, I, I'm not saying this. this I'm not, to, uh, to clarify, I'm not yeah. saying this like, oh, she's, she's prissy or whatever, but she's just highly practical as a person. Of course. But she also knows you and loves you just the way you are and knows that you're going to do stupid things like bring home a, like go find Ralph and buy him back. Oh, I would love to do that. <laughs> well, but I could see that happening. I could, and, and I think she, again, she would be like, of course, that's what Matt did is he went and found well, the car that he fell in love with and bought it back. <laughs> That's a good yeah. idea. Oh, so for the modification thing, from my mm. perspective, you know, we have this gluttony of opportunity to modify vehicles as a business. I have just simply not found something that I want to do to the 110. The only thing I've thought about is I would like to put in a drawer system that takes up that bed and makes it makes the entire floor then the same height where the the wheel wells are the same height as the drawer. You know, it all becomes oh, this one big, yeah. big flat, flat floor. Flat. I did that in the Troopy. <clears throat> we had a, we had a drawer like that in ours. Yeah. And I'd like. I think in the very front, I would want it to be a uh, a door that popped open or a little little cubby that popped open, and that I want the back to have two drawers, uh, so that way there was a bit of security in the vehicle because it's all a soft top, and it would also 
get some stuff out of the dust a little bit, which is also another thing that kind of comes along with it. I did upgrade the seats to, I think they're 2016 vintage. They're like Exmoor seats yeah. or something? Uh, they're actually factory oh, okay. Land Rover seats that they're are- the best seats out there, by the way. Yeah. They're very good. It's, it's quite good. And it has heated elements in it because mm. it's oh. very difficult to heat <laughs> this this it's very difficult to heat any of <laughs> but it's surprising the, the like, gearbox doesn't heat you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. you get, it, yes it is a smattering of hot and cold from all kinds of different directions yes and they swirl about but i find that like being able to turn on it, it's cold in prescott i mean this yeah. morning it was 20 degrees or mm -hmm. so being able to turn on a heated seat in a defender 110 is like this very nice addition but it's still a factory seat, everything slides and works properly. And uh, so that was one little modification that I made, but I really don't think that it's a good idea to do much until you absolutely find that you need it. I think I've thought about putting in a Detroit locker in the rear axle. And that is something that I may still do because I actually think that would help the vehicle. Well, a lot of settle, folks do that. Settle it down off-road because I do take it on more challenging terrain. But mm -hmm. I just don't think that the, there's a whole lot of modifications that are an advantage. You used to see these three-link systems and these really elaborate suspensions. Maybe those more like recreational off-roads. Yep. Yeah. And I don't think any of that is suitable for overlanding. Mm. Um, one of the things that I learned, and this is one of the points that I wanted to make towards the end of the podcast was one of the best impressions that I had around Defenders was when I was in the UK, I purposefully made a trip to go to Foley's. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've been to Foley's, yeah. Okay. So I don't even know what Foley's role is still, or if they even still set up Defenders to travel Africa, but this company specialized in a couple's retiring or a couple's going to take some time off and they go to Foley's and they would set up their, and they had a bunch of them. They had 2007, 300 TDI. The last year they had a bunch of them or maybe 97. I don't know. It was the last year of the 300 TDI. The military kept the TDI going for a long time. So it could well have been a TDI. The, the British military. Yeah, it they was specialized. Cause I, now that you remember it, I think Christian and I partied with those guys at Aventoir and Allrad. You like did. 2010. Yeah, you mentioned that. And so, I rode in one of those. It was whatever the last year of the 300 TDI is. They bought everyone that they could and they had them all in a barn and you could go into Foley's and you could say, I want to drive to Cape Town. And they had their Cape, Cape Town spec and they would heavily discourage people from doing anything but whatever their recommendation was because these vehicles consistently made it. They would basically add the high cap spring set to the rear with the factory coil inside the other coil. They would maybe go with a factory spring that was a little taller, a slightly taller tire. And they had this way of kind of bulletproofing the 110 for crossing Africa. But I have the whole list of the Foley's setup for traveling Africa. And I'm going to try to post that to this podcast because it was I found it so fascinating. I mean, there was an entire team of people. It was their job to build 110s to go across the Silk Road or down the length of Africa, and they had a way that worked. Mm -hmm. And it was incredible the number of vehicles that reliably made it one way, somebody else would fly down and buy it and drive it back the other direction. Mm -hmm. And they did not modify the cars. I they did little enhancements using factory components, and they reliably drove the length of Africa. I think that's the right approach. Uh because the car is so simple, there's a gigantic aftermarket for defenders in terms of modification and you know all different kinds of things you can do to the vehicle. But for us, the modifications we've done have been these little things, right? So Exmoor seats, redid all of the bushings with poly, uh, poly bushings, right? Especially 
in the link for the rear axle, right? There's that big, yeah. that big bushing that, that locates the axle. Those things transform the vehicle just in terms of its on-road handling, in terms of its, you know, traction off-road. It's, it's little stuff like that, that we have a, like, I bought an improved windscreen washer because, you know, the little squirters for the windshield yeah. washer for the windshield are terrible, right? But you can buy these little aftermarket things that just make yeah. your life like so much better. You know, those- Your windshield kind of, washer- thing works yeah it does actually yeah. <laughs> yeah the one in the back too um but yeah so like what else uh really really high quality shock absorbers make a world of difference on these cars you know a bilstein or a yeah that's what's on this one um, Bilstein's or perfect. A, you know a, a coney right uh like make a huge difference in their ride quality for the older defenders uh upgrading the front brakes to the sort of the later uh model with the two piston and the vented discs go a long way because Braking is more of a suggestion in these things than, mm-hmm. you know, any kind of. It reminds me of when I when of, I used uh, to ride yeah. the Ural sidecar oh, yeah. motorcycle. So when you would ride a Ural, if you accelerated, you had to counter steer left because the, there would oh, be a sure. drag from the cart and the thing would turn this way. And if you hit the brakes, the cart would try to pass the motorcycle. So you had to <laughs> counter steer right. And that's the same thing when I hit the brakes on the 110. It's it could go right. It could go left. It could slow down. Um, it's yeah. kind of wherever it gets. Grip. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Right. Right. You, it includes a bonus lane change at the same time as braking. Yeah, I don't right. have that problem with my G-Wagon. <laughs> but they can, you know, they can brake well. Um, Mine does. You know, it's, it, it, it's a light vehicle, right? I mean, the body's yeah. all aluminum. Right? When, when you look at it, it's like it's lighter than they look right and oh yeah so, so they can with with good adjustment and like high quality parts um like maybe an upgrade to a vented disc in the from the solid disc models you can get them to break really well so the those Ventus, are the kinds of modifications right like, yeah the vented disc is a good idea especially if you're going to be doing alpine driving mm-hmm. uh you know mountain passes and if you've added weight and, if you added a lot of weight to your to your yeah. build yeah well if you're overlanding you probably got to be pretty heavy mm-hmm. we've had it in the past and we, we crossed mm-hmm. the highest we crossed the andes from from argentina to colombia we did the highest pass in uh colombia without brakes because the brakes were just gone you could actually break the disc with your finger <laughs> it was that bad because it breaks i mean the andes are just so terrible but that's when the low range came in what i loved about the like my defender I tried it with the Dodge the other day, doing a, the mountain pass down to Lake Atitlan. And with the Defender, I just pop it in low range and I'm good. And yeah, I tried it with the Ram back. and you like, you try to go around the corner and the thing starts jumping in the front. I think it just automatically locks. The, yeah, it the does. Yeah, it puts it in a four wheel drive. Yeah. But yeah, who needs yeah. brakes when you've got low range? Yeah, right. Yeah, and then the handbrake. <laughs> you get outside. And, and then a handbrake. Your handbrake yeah. works. Yeah. <laughs> My handbrake hasn't worked. Uh, <laughs> I've, had a, I've had a transfer box leak for the last six years yeah like literally just i've tried everything to fix it yeah i literally just once every couple of weeks i just get under there with a 75 w90 i've got my own special little filler i can do this job with my eyes closed pop it up if i remember right on the series they had a little access panel between the seats and you could like put gearbox oil and as you went down the road you could yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. i once dropped a i was heading off for a huge journey uh that one i drove around south africa the low range, I was showing a friend of mine how the low range works and it got locked in low range, couldn't get out. <laughs> so my brother-in-law is a mechanic. He's like, well, let's have a look. And he opens up the this inspection hatch. He goes, he's got a bolt in his hand. He goes, I really hope I don't drop this. And what does he do? He's right in the gearbox. <laughs> Could have killed him. But luckily, <clears throat> it was just small enough that when we drained the oil, it popped up. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> wow. Well, we're getting close to the end of the podcast, mm-hmm. but I think for those that are listening, the takeaway is, 
people are going to tell you not to buy a Defender 110, they are probably going to be people who have never owned one and most likely never driven one. So it's just like when someone tells you, don't go to Nicaragua, I can just about guarantee it that they're a person who has never been there. Because the reality is, is that every experience has all of these joys that can bring to us and the defenders are, are no different. And they actually are very well suited in certain ways to overland travel. And because they are a little less reliable, you actually have more of an adventure by the time you get to the other end. They don't need a lot of modification. They're, if you try to buy a Defender in the United States, it's expensive. If you try to buy one in South Africa, it's not quite as expensive. Uh, so they are available out there. Consider buying one in another country and getting it registered there and then driving it from that point on. You don't have to bring them to the U.S. You don't even have to buy them in the U.S. to the begin to begin with. So if you've always wanted a Defender, look in other markets. You might be surprised what you find in a left-hand drive in Germany that could be affordable or 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 in Portugal yeah. or something. Yeah, I mean, you, could, you could probably buy something in Europe, go on a lovely holiday, yep. take it to Morocco, yep. explore, travel, have some adventures. And then if you don't fall madly in love with it, ship it back and sell it and pay for the trip. Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. Or leave it there or just fly and drive yeah. Yeah. going until it's of age to bring it back. I think <clears throat> the thing with Defender ownership, especially I know a few people who are dying to get their hands on a Defender. And I'm like, have you driven one? They're like, no, 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 no. I'm like, well, before you hand over the how many grand, spend some time with the vehicle, drive yeah. it. But the important thing, I think, with the classic Defender is that you have to change your mindset of what this vehicle it's, is. It's a military agricultural vehicle. It's that, a tractor. It's, it's a tractor. It was meant to be a tractor for yeah. the farm. Yeah. You can't get in it and expect it to be a modern vehicle. Mm. It is going to be uncomfortable. It is going to be loud. It is going to be noisy. But it is also going to be one of the greatest vehicles you've ever driven in yeah, your life. For sure. And it's going to give you the fizz. It's all about the fizz. Um, it's all about the fizz. Mm. Yeah, mine puts a smile on my face every day. Um, and I drive it pretty much on the daily, which is another thing with classic defenders. They need to be driven yeah. um, like any classic car, right? Um, they need to be maintained. They need to be driven. And that's also part of being clear-eyed about approaching a car like this. And I feel like we've talked a lot of a lot of romantic things today uh, regarding this vehicle. But Graham kisses his life. I know, right? Literally right. <laughs> Hug her as well. Um, <laughs> you know, we give them names, right? Uh, you know, and it is, you know, if, if you come into it with, with that, with that, like Graham is saying, sort of the understanding of like what it is and what it does, then yeah, you'll have an amazing relationship with, yeah, with, with these compare vehicles. It, yeah. Don't compare it to a Hilux. Don't compare it to a G-Wagon. Mm -hmm. Don't compare it to another. It's not, it's not any of those things. It's, it is its own thing. Yeah. My wife likes to think, say that the, my landy is the other woman in my life. <laughs> 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 I've, we've traveled so far with that thing. Um, it has always gotten me where I'm going, mm -hmm. you know, it might stutter, it might do this, it might do that. It's taught me so much about maintenance and preparation and, and, and you know, is a relationship that I have with this thing mm -hmm. that I, I can't, I, I would love to be buried in it yeah. if they could make a big enough hole yeah. and if they could rip it out of <laughs> Louise's hands. Um, but I, I love this thing, but I also understand that it's not my Volvo. Yeah. Or when well, you know, I used to have a Volvo and it's not this vehicle or that vehicle. And that just doing understanding that about them, it, it makes it a lot easier for people to accept what they were, what they are. So I, I'd suggest if anyone's actually looking to buy a classic Land Rover is find one. Yeah. Uh, rent one. It's going to be very expensive or borrow one or, but get yourself behind the wheel and use it for mixed activities mm -hmm. and actually, you know, get to know the thing. 
and and manage your expectations. And at the end of it, uh, I can guarantee one thing, though, no matter what, what the situation is, what you do with it, you know, you're going to go out into the mountains, you're going to start your campfire, and you're not going to, you, you might initially face the sunset, but then you're going to turn and you're going to sit in your chair and you're going to have your whatever in your hand and you're going to be admiring the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd still find after all these years, I can sit there at the end of a long, tough day and I'll just sit there and I'll just look at it. Yeah, same. There's something about it. Yeah, when we buy a Land Rover, we're not, we're not buying the best overland vehicle. Uh, we're buying the one that guarantees adventure. So think about that when you start to look at a purchase. So any thoughts from you, Matt? We'll wrap things up. Happy with my German stuff. Uh, but thank you for being the voice of reason. We have, <laughs> we have Steve talking about being clear-eyed, which is a good idea. And then we have uh, the, the German voice of reason with us on this podcast or, as well. Yeah. yeah. Basically, yeah. I just like <laughs> nice, nice emotional chat, guys. But <laughs> You need to kiss your G-Wagon more, Matt. Just works. And I don't have a fancy one, by the way. It doesn't even have AC. Like it, it, is, it is the spiritual equivalent mm. in G-Wagon world of a Defender. Yeah, no question. No, no question. Roll up windows and, and all of that stuff. Yeah, so. all those things. Thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. Thank you all for listening. Take a drive in a Defender, like Graham says, and see where it takes you. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.